0: Just uh, blasted everybody out of the back of their uh, house with that, with plugging in that. Yeah. Well, it's just like going to a music show, right? When somebody plugs in their, um, plug in their guitar. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't even know what that is. I think that's "Life on Mars" uh, s- sung in. You can't hear that, Lawn, can
1: you? No, I can't. Oh, there it is. No, I can.
0: Yeah, it's uh, "Life on Mars" sung in. Um, I think Swedish.
1: <laughs> Interesting.
0: Here. Yeah, I can hear it. <laughs> well part of part of the show is uh weird music. Um occasionally I'll do a weird music show and just play um strange music for two hours just because I like it. Or outsider music. Uh I just uh contacted Lon about hmm, I think it was two weeks ago, right?
1: Something like
0: that. Yeah, something like that. Uh, mainly because of the uh, MUFON kerfuffle which we will get into but um, meanwhile during the meanwhilest there are so many things on the list here we're not going to get to them all but who cares right?
1: Wow. <laughs> no the the whole extraterrestrial thing is not, uh, not a viable solution to this
0: we, we need to go f- through a turning point in the study of of this whole domain away from ideology. We're not here to prove that we're being visited by you know aliens from this planet or that star. That may very well be true, but we have not done the basic work.
1: I have this hunch that, the, uh, that, this, that this phenomenon is, um, comes, for, comes from some sort of domain of pure information and the fact that they can interact with us at all suggests that uh, that we inhabit the domain, it's also pure information. Are we uh golf condition here? To- yes.
2: Radeonio Mysterio Soul.
0: Well, let's fade that thing down since everybody... Hey, Lon, do you know what uh, movie that was from?
1: Not particularly. Okay,
0: Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh, that,
1: well... (laughs) that says it all right there
0: (laughs) it says it all about this show i mean uh uh just to let you know it it just lets people know that i'm serious but not that serious and that um laughing a lot of this stuff is probably a good idea while you're serious about it at the same time um it seems to help lots of people deal with it and not become what crazy obsessed whatever the hell it is (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, uh, Lon came to my attention because of, like I said, this, um, this, uh, Mufon, uh, shuffle in the last couple of weeks here, two or three weeks ago. Now it seems like it's a year ago because of all the things that have happened. I pulled your intro straight off your site and changed it a little bit just because if there's somebody I haven't had on the show before, I'll do a formal introduction. Usually if it's somebody I've had on for a long time or their are friends, or whatever, I, I kind of dispense with that. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I did, I thought Lon, when I, when I first saw that thing on MUFON, I thought you were a MUFON person, but you're not, you're kind of involved in lots of different things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lon's an author, and researcher, and he's a host at, um, at one of the shows. Is it, is the show Arcane? It's a, it's a network called Arcane Radio, right?
1: No, it's, it's, um, it's our show, Arcane Radio. Oh, okay. Okay. Um. He
0: also runs the Phantoms and Monsters blog, which I reference quite a lot when I'm doing work for uh, Coast to Coast. That started in 2005. All kinds of stuff on there. Uh, Fortean phenomena, UFOs, uh, cryptids, um, even ghost stuff, I think. Uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, re- uh, his research and reports have been featured on all kinds of media sources probably hundreds as you say on your on your uh intro there and a lot uh, a lot of television shows like uh ancient aliens uh sci-fi's paranormal no paranormal witness and uh mysteries monsters and mysteries in america which i always enjoyed um uh you uh lon also uh do you run or are you part of phantom Phantom and monsters 40 and research
1: oh that's uh that's part of what i do i mean that's. Uh, it's a group, investigative group we have.
0: Okay, uh, which is in, uh, in conjunction with the UFO Research Center of Pennsylvania, uh, the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, Crypto Four Corners International, and Astral Perceptions Universal. He also mm-hmm. invest. They investigate uh, all facets of paranormal and the supernatural, be it terrestrial or non-terrestrial. Also, uh, I talked to Josh Cutchen yesterday. He said you're um, you live in Pennsylvania, right? Right. You, yeah. And you're a native of Pennsylvania. You've grown up there the whole time. Do you know Stan Gordon?
1: Yeah. 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 I've known Stan for a while now.
0: I bet. Um, I've tried to get him on the show before, and it's kind of been hit and miss and touch and go, and I've been able to. And I think he might be semi
1: retired at this point. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned me being in Pennsylvania. I just moved back to Pennsylvania. I was, um, I lived near Baltimore for almost 40 years. Ah. Uh, after I graduated from high school, I left here and then i just moved back last year
0: why'd you move back just because
1: well you know, my wife had passed away and uh you know i decided eh, it's have time to, for the, you know some different atmosphere and my dad has gotten older now my grandmother had passed away so i just went ahead and uh moved into her house
0: oh i see why were you interested in the um the mufon john venture thing and i'm not going to go through the background of it you can a little bit if you like but we can spend a, i haven't talked really talked about that on my show yet because i so many other people were talking about it but Yeah. well how would you find out about was,
1: it was my uh my co-host on arcane radio uh Sean forker uh had seen this post on john Ventry's facebook page so he he circled it did a screenshot and sent it over to me so uh you know when i saw it i just i i, I couldn't believe it though you know i've had some dealings with john before i mean quite honest with you in a way it kind of you know didn't surprise me in a way but yeah. I, I went ahead right. and posted it up on my facebook and within 24 hours, this thing was everywhere. It just went viral, right? And uh, <clears throat> it just, you know, it just blew up from there. Yeah.
0: Well, it was. Well, okay. A little bit of background: what it was was a extremely racist rant. Which I don't know what moved him to say such a thing online, because later people were uh, people that were defending him were saying, "Well, it's a private thing he said, and it doesn't really matter." Um, Facebook is not private. No. And it's not, it shouldn't no, be considered not. private. Um And, uh you know, why did you want to, well, you just posted it so people could see You weren't sitting there, you know, kind of blowing the horn and saying, look, everybody here. You just kind of posted and said, what is, what is going on here?
1: Yeah, I, I just, you know, Sean sent it over to me and I, you know, I just, I took the screenshot and put it on my, on my Facebook page. And, uh... I you know I I just put it up there and make people aware it was it had been posted, and I guess it struck a nerve and it it just blew up. I mean it it went it went crazy. So um, a, a lot of well-known MUFON members and uh, ufologists just you know for whatever their personal reason was they just became upset and. Uh, a couple of days later, when uh, MUFON director Jan Harzan posted, um, I don't even know what the hell that was he posted. That was... Um, it was like an excuse was, for yeah, yeah, everything so, would go away. it was like an excuse, but it really didn't say much of anything or help anything. And, and uh, it, you know, nobody was satisfied with it, and it just... You know, it just magnified the problem, so um you know that's where we're at now. It's kind of waned off a bit. But people are still upset about it. I mean, they lost a lot of members because of it as well um, as far as what's going to happen or what has happened to mr ventry i i uh i he ha no longer has the state director title, but i'm I'm fairly positive he's still involved with what goes on in Pennsylvania move on
0: right oh well that was the other thing because he's in your home state so you 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 did have sort of not really a personal stake but you kind of knew him you knew what was going on and you knew that this should be pointed out but lawn's kind of being quiet about it what he did actually was one of the few people that actually took um what's the word uh, really uh took it upon himself to one tell people about it and two i think you had some back and forth with ventry and uh jan harzan about it and what their reasoning was and what ventry looked like he was doing was basically he came out swinging he didn't apologize he didn't say you know i was drunk or anything like that he didn't care that people knew about his um kind of radical racist views
1: yeah Um, he basically doubled down on everything and uh And uh, then he came after a few people. He came after me and he came after my colleague, Butch Witkowski and, but Karen Dolan probably took the brunt of it. She, um, yeah, uh, I saw that. He really, he really went to town on her and that backfired. And so, you know, I guess for whatever reason, I don't think he thought that people would defend the, you know, defend us, but it, you know, it just didn't work out the way I think he wanted it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then the reaction from Mufon was very, not even lukewarm. It was kind of like, you basically Jan Arzen said, "Search your own souls," because you know, are you as bad or worse than somebody that's making this assertion in the first place? It's like, what, what kind of a, what kind of a reaction was that? And a lot of people were guessing it had to do with maybe that um, uh, Ventry is a uh, heavy. Um, a contributor to MUFON to the tune, I think, of at least $5,000 a year. I guess he's listed in the inner circle of $5,000 a year uh, contributors or something, and that they theorize that that was part of it, too. The the uh, the muted response had a little bit to do with uh, all the money he gives to the organization.
1: Yeah, I think he's probably one of the largest contributors, uh, just from what I understand. And there's political pull, too, and, you know, most – people don't realize most state directors and on throughout the country has some type of political pull as well so you know there's um, you know there was a, there was a reason behind the way they addressed it <clears throat> but unfortunately for them and I don't know if it, you know if or when it's going to happen well, I think it is going to happen uh some people are going to be questioning their um tax exempt status and if that happens, and the way the, the laws have changed over the years and as aggressive that the IRS has been with these, uh, with these, uh, Nonprofit. institutional, institutional racism as far as, you know, uh, organizations that have, that have, uh, tax exempt status, that may tend to be a problem for them
0: yeah and the the other the upshot another upshot of this is probably that um well already it 's already happened as you said a lot of people have left i don 't think many have come back some have i guess Kathleen Marden said, well, i guess it 's okay now, and that they 've taken care of it, but um, as far as as some of us can tell they haven 't really taken care of it they 've just kind of taken them out of the public eye um, when I first made it, and we 'll get off this in a second but um, when that first came up, my comment was, you know, look, Vendry can say whatever he likes. That's fine. That's completely fine. He He's totally free to say what he wants. And he should be. However, in this country, in this society, when somebody says something that reflects badly or- on your organization, every other instance I've heard of this, <laughs> the organization says, sorry, this doesn't reflect our values and we've severed all ties with this person. They do that right. immediately. They don't even wait for a discussion. <clears throat> Because it's it just the way, rightly or wrongly, the way things are set up in in at least in the United States, if you say something like that, and you're a member of some group, they they don't want to have anything to do with you after that, because otherwise they'll think that the group is is uh, somehow supporting their views, and they don't want anybody to have that uh, impression. Which was kind of strange that the the board or at least Tarzan didn't think of that when it happened. So that was a you know the point of my comment was you know this is normally what people do and you haven't done that so this it's it's going to blow up in your face and it did so
1: yeah yeah it definitely did then they decided to take everything off the website and now they're it's kind of like they washed their hands of it so i I don't know what's going to happen now but um they're you know they're not addressing the issue anymore
0: no they're not and i think uh, what'll happen is and I, this is what i'm hoping what'll happen is that uh the the group will become more defocused and democratized or they will just cease to exist in the form that they are now and be, take a very and become a lot smaller which is good i mean i think um for about ten years now i 've been saying break up break up large organizations and turn it into smaller organizations or groups that can go out this problem from many different angles without kind of a central authority because it seems like a lot of things in the paranormal there's no one answer for it, and if you try to force one answer on it you 're missing you know probably ninety five percent of um all the other other evidence that's been coming that you know that comes in. And uh, if you ignore it, you've, you're not really solving anything. You're just kind of perpetuating one one little aspect of it.
1: Well, the, you know, the, the organization as a whole has had issues. I mean, especially over the last, oh, I don't know, 10 years or so, there's been a lot of weird, strange things going on with the organization. Uh, the Bigelow, the Bigelow uh, Aerodynamic situation wasn't good and right. rubbed a lot of people the wrong way uh the evelyn douglas uh removal from the colorado uh state director's position mm-hmm. rubbed people the wrong way and it's just been a myriad of things right uh you know i've had personal issues with them as far as investigations And making promises and not keeping them and so forth and so on. So, you know, I've learned my lesson. I'm just, I've just washed my hands of MUFON as a total. I mean, I just, I just had no, you know, I'll look at the reports and quote the reports on the CMS as, you know, as long as I can get to them. But after that, I mean, as far as the investigative part of it, I'm I'm not even going to bother being helping them out or want their help anymore right
0: okay well we'll leave that because it, it, as uh, other people have pointed out you start talking about that episode and it take it can take up the entire show sure. you know sure. um the uh, the the other big thing that's going on that everybody probably knows you for and you said you really wanted to talk about is um all this mothman stuff in chicago what is going on over there? What have people seen? I've seen some of the reports. There's even a photo of something that looks like a, I don't know, it looks like somebody in a, like a modified squirrel suit with big wings sticking out. Um, but uh, when did it start? What, what's going on? What have people seen? And has it changed? You know, is, is it getting, you know, is it different? Are there more sightings, less um, people seeing different things? Uh, maybe you can go through that for us.
1: Well, um I, I the moniker on this thing I, I'm I'm now calling it the, the Chicago Phantom because quite frankly I can't really get a distinct description of what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh it was you know, it was early early on it was like the um, the Mothman, uh owlman type description, but then it's kind of modified to more of a bat like being so um you know, I, I decided I'm just gonna i'm just gonna call it chicago phantom and we're gonna go from there but anyway unless that changes but anyway the first sightings in chicago actually started in um in august of 2011 there were three sightings in um throughout chicago um and there was an actual photo taken of this this bat-like being flying over uh, Plasky Road, sixty-third, around that area. That was August twenty-second, and you know, at the time it happened, uh, people were uh, you know they had commented on it, and you know it was it had come up on Mufon and. Uh, and UFO Clearinghouse had, had done some, had looked into and posted it. I don't know if they really talked to anybody at that time. Then, uh, then in September, thirtieth of two thousand eleven, in the Miller Park area, there was a another sighting. Um, and it had it, it was kind of like the, uh, the Mothman types of description. It was described as uh, having two brightly lit orange eyes and.
0: Huh, classic one.
1: Yeah, and, uh, it, it was seen by several people. And in fact, uh, it was in one area of the park, and a couple of minutes later, six more people saw it. It was reported to be six to seven foot tall, dark gray to black. And, uh, and, in fact, at one point it was perched on top of a basketball rim huh. so yeah i you know, so that was uh, that was september thirtieth uh two thousand eleven then in october fourteenth two thousand eleven in Washington park, which is uh near the University of Chicago, there was uh a report of a man with wings. Uh, the witness said it flew about 10 to 15 foot above them and it was perfectly silhouetted against the, uh, evening sky. Uh, they said it looked like an immensely oversized sugar glider. Huh. The kind that you would, this person was from Tasmania, said it looked like, you know, a Tasmanian sugar glider, but it was much bigger. Um, uh, the eyes glowed red. And uh, that was basically all we had. And that was the last report we had. So, um, the next report that we received, now I'm not going to go in, in chronological order. I'm going to go by as as the reports were received. But okay, yeah, sure. On, on April 4th, excuse me, April 7th, um, UFO Clearinghouse, uh, Manuel Navaret. He got a report from a sighting in Oz Park, which is which is part of Lincoln Park, the Lincoln Park neighborhood. And uh, it was described as a large humanoid, probably seven foot or taller, standing on the ground. It was actually standing in the park. The witness came up to it. She said it was uh, solid black. But what really stood out were a large pair of wings that were folded behind it. And that these wings stood taller than this humanoid, at least by a foot and a half as it jutted out from its back. Mm -hmm. Uh, The witness said it couldn't see its face because it was turned away, but when it finally turned, she noticed the bright ruby red eyes. And and as she was watching, this thing just shot straight up in the air uh, as a got up into the air much higher than the wings unfurled and it took off. So, you know, we got that report and, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was about a week later when MUFON received the report uh, on the 15th of April at the Chicago international produce market. This was actually multiple witnesses. Uh, it was said to be completely black, except for it having bright yellowish reddish eyes like a cat uh It stood for a moment, it was actually perched above them um <clears throat> and it just for about a minute or it just sat there staring at the people below it before it started before it shot up in the air into the sky and disappeared. Uh, the witnesses said that it made everyone feel uneasy, and it only took off after somebody had thrown some rocks at it um, <laughs> said it had wings like an owl, only bigger, and you could hear the wings flap as it took off, oh, so it didn't just shoot up like the uh like yeah some of this, this other was, now this one was different, you know that this is why I've got a theory that. And you'll hear it as I go along that this is either two entities, or it's one entity that's kind of shape-shifting somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sounds next like a
0: gargoyle, actually. Some of the ways your the, the descriptions you've you've already given me.
1: Yeah, and it, it does have that kind of gargoyle sense to it. I mean, especially the early mm-hmm. the early uh, reports. So, a day after that, <coughs> a report came. On the Mufon CMS uh, in Humboldt Park. Uh, this is multiple witnesses. This is a Hispanic neighborhood. Uh, it was an act described as an owl-like humanoid that stood on two foot, two feet, and looked right at the witnesses. They said it looked like a large lacusa, which is it's it's a, bar, a lacusa is a barn owl, a large barn owl. Okay. And there's a legend about the lacusa in the Rio Grande Valley area of this um, this large owl that transformed into a, me- a woman. Uh, and I've written about the lacusa before. Uh, they said it was about six foot tall and it had the glowing red eyes as well. So we moved from there, and uh, there was another report on the fifteenth that was reported. As well, uh, this was in the Montrose Beach area, but it was about a mile out into uh, Lake Michigan.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Multiple witnesses that were in a boat. Uh, they described it as a bat-like flying humanoid, six or seven foot in body length that was solid black, with eyes that seemed to reflect the moonlight. Now, an interesting part of this sighting was that um uh, they stated that about a minute or two later there was a green orb like UFO that went across the horizon. Now I, I don't know if that there's any relationship at all to, you know, this sighting, but they did note that. So uh the next sighting was on the twenty seventh of April. And this was uh, on the Little Calumet River near uh, East 130th Street. Uh, A man and his boy were fishing.
0: This is where I first heard about it.
1: Yeah, it it was near the the bridge, Mm -hmm. a railroad trestle. And um, they said it was solid black and the size of a full-grown man. It had wings. That must have been ten foot from tip to tip. It flew up and out of sight within seconds. And he he described it as a bat out of hell. <laughs> and uh that it made a weird sound like a train break when the train is slowing down. So
0: <laughs>
1: significantly
0: near the near the train trestle which either means that there there was a train somewhere or it was mimicking the the train sound or maybe that guy just thought that it that was the closest it could
1: he could get to description yeah so may 5th uh this was in the evening 8 p.m now this was calumet park in chicago which is near is right beside the lake Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and a law enforcement officer and his son who were in the park Witnessed this flying humanoid about six foot in in height and blackish gray in color and had an enormous pair of wings that must have been eight to ten foot in width. They stated that when this uh, entity flew by, they watched it as it flew towards the, the field house in the park and they heard others reacting to this thing as well. So there were multiple witnesses. And in fact, a, a lot of these sightings are multiple witnesses, though, you know, only a few po- people are reporting it and are actually making their reports, which yeah. is understandable. Right, exactly. So uh, the next sighting was uh, was on May 19th. This was in the afternoon. Now this time... This was in downtown Chicago or near downtown huh. Chicago, uh, near the uh, the Chicago River, where it comes, you know, empties into the to Lake Michigan. Yeah. What day of the now week this, was it? Uh this was on a Friday. Okay. And it was. And uh, yeah, so a and bunch of people were there. Yeah, and that's just it, because there were two sightings. Right. Uh, this first sighting, the the witnesses saw two of these bat-like humanoids flying together. And in fact, they were flying in uh, figure-eight configurations above them. Wow. And eventually it took off toward the south, toward the Adler Planetarium. (laughs) They they did notice that there was a, um, a Coast Guard helicopter flying above it, but it didn't react like it saw anything or saw it so um
0: yeah well maybe it was right underneath or yeah. they're the only
1: ones that could see it i don't know were there a lot of people
0: around or just these couple well there might have been but these only two no, people had said near, anything this,
1: this was near uh a marina uh-huh uh right in that area and i don't know exactly which marina it was i've seen pictures of it so it is a marina there all right but uh, at the same time in on the river walk which is along the the chicago river uh there was uh there was a sighting by a woman and her daughter. They stated it and it was at the Columbus Drive Bridge. They said a large winged person flying just above the water, then pulling up and going over the bridge.
3: Huh.
1: It was like a, a huge owl or even a bat, but completely black, with the exception of two large eyes that appeared red. And that was the first uh That was the first sketch that we got. And a lot of people have tried to take pictures of this thing, but it it was either too dark, too fast, or, uh, the picture wouldn't come out. And, uh, you know, I've had several witnesses tell me that. So there had been, there has been an attempt to get pictures, but for whatever reason, they just, they just do not come out. Yeah, so, well this is normal. <laughs> yes, it is. For, so, for any of these it, things. Uh the next the next uh witness report was one that was called into me. Um, this was <clears throat> excuse me on May twenty seventh, it was Saturday. Uh seven thirty in the evening in the Calumet Park neighborhood at one twenty seventh and Ashton Avenue. So the witness stated that they, her, and her boyfriend had first thought they saw a black helicopter uh, above a, a, a copse of trees, mm-hmm. and they said black helicopters because it was so big. Now I don't know, you know I don't know how they were looking at this or whatever, but they said then the object rose further into the sky, and at that time it became apparent. That was a large human-like being with wings. They described it as black in color and it was flying without moving its wings. And that's, that's another aspect that most people were saying that it mostly glided the whole time they saw it. <clears throat> they were shocked at the size as the silhouetted itself across the moon, which was out by then, And it was visible in the late clear evening. There was still considerable light, but too dark to get a discernible video or photograph with their cell phone, though there was an attempt to capture photographic evidence. They determined that it was not a plane or glider, but a living being of unknown origin. The, descri- the description the woman gave me was that it looked like it was a large black flying man with wings. <clears throat> so, um the next sighting... Was an older sighting from March of twenty second. Now this is all this year, right? Yeah, this is all uh, this is all this spring,
0: uh-huh.
1: and um, this was seen by a truck driver. His name is Billy Bance, and he actually came on a radio show and, and talked about what he had experienced. But um, he all was right, making yeah. check that out. He was making delivery at Cicero Avenue and uh, 290 Expressway. This was about noon. He said he witnessed a flying object in the airspace to the south coming from Midway International Airport. He described it as a Batman and stated that it closely resembled the, uh, the photograph from a 2011 sighting And the the strange thing about this was, he's suffered a lot of bizarre medical conditions since then. Ah. Uh, And the I've received the documentation, and I can verify it.
0: Yeah. How close was it? How close was the whatever it was he saw to him physically?
1: It was it was fairly fairly far away, but it did come down, and he got a really good look at it. Uh huh. And the, the next set of sketches were sent to me from that. And this thing, you know, it, he said it definitely wasn't a drone. And it was definitely something that was a living. Um, it kind of looks like a large bullet with real wide bat wings.
0: Huh.
1: Oh, uh, So, that was his description. So, but that was the earliest, that was the earliest sighting. So, last saturday oh here we go uh which was um still going the, on Yeah, it's the third june we actually received two reports uh and they're all in the same place at the 400 block of north arlington place now this is between north clark street and north lakewood avenue and this was in lincoln park as well and this was a phone call i received um Couple. It was about 10 o'clock in local time and uh the couple had just finished a late dinner at a local restaurant and noticed the flying anomaly as they were walking on the 400 block of North Arlington Place. The street lights illuminated the figure enough to startle them so they, it could not have been very high above the street and in fact, they told me it was just above the trees. Both, uh Both witnesses described as a 7- to 8-foot solid black humanoid with wide membrane wings that resembled those of a huge bat. The wingspan was at least 12 foot. The head was prominent, but thinner than a human head. The back end of the body tapered to a point. No legs were noticed, but could have been tucked under the body. The figure was gliding quickly along the length of the street heading east then suddenly ascended into the night sky neither heard a sound both witnesses stated that they felt a sense of foreboding and were still terrified almost an hour after the an encounter and that's when they called me they uh they oh
0: really soon after
1: oh yeah they they actually searched it on google and found my contact information and called me right away they were still in the location when they called me and in fact where was, was that again
0: I'm looking at ma- I'm looking at a map of Chicago while you tell me these things. Where exactly was that one?
1: This is North Arlington Place, the 400 block, right between North Clark Street and North Lakeview Avenue.
0: Oh, okay. Because there's a place near in in Lincoln Park called Oz Park, which I thought would be very funny if they'd and seen it
1: there. Oz Park was the first sighting that we received in Oz Park. Okay. <laughs> so the, the the Lincoln Park neighborhood has been very active. Mm. So. Uh, Like I said, there was another sighting uh, that same day, that same day time, and this wit this couple, another couple, and they said it was gliding, huge and long, pitch black, had no feathers, and they also stated they felt uneasy as well. So that's the last sighting we've received, and that was last Saturday. A lot of these sightings have been happening on fridays and saturdays as of late and uh so far this weekend we haven't received another
0: maybe it's too early to say but uh you've taken all the re- these reports another thing i noticed is a few of these seem to cluster around water
1: rivers well yeah the yeah, uh a lot of the sites marina were, were near the lake
0: uh-huh
1: But uh, then again there were some that were you know Somewhat distance from the lake as well.
0: Okay. Well, what you know it, is it too early for you to kind of get an idea of patterns or what you think's going on, or compare it to either the old Mothman <coughs> sightings or any other um, uh, entity sightings uh, like Mothman or Owlman, or you know the hundreds and hundreds of flying humanoid reports. Um how have you had a chance really to think about placing it in context?
1: Well, the flight patterns seem to gravitate toward the south of the city. Now, you have to excuse me cuz I'm going to have, I live beside a Pretty busy street. And you hear them. Anything yeah. happens out of the street, you can hear it. Well, you don't know anyway. it,
0: but that's an inside joke on this show. If you hear a siren on the show, it means it's a real show. And uh, <laughs> it's because I used to be at a studio that was right at a very busy corner. You'd hear sirens throughout the show, no matter what I did. So I just decided to basically just say, "Look, it's a siren," and people wait for that. And it's fun when the guest has a siren and I don't. So sorry. Go um, ahead.
1: So anyway. I- I, I'm I'm concluding that it's it's originating somewhere south of the city. Now the reason I'm saying this is over the last several weeks I have also seen some reports of large flashes of light in the sky south of Chicago and in fact Two of, the, two of the reports came out of the Chicago Heights area, which is south of Chicago. Yeah. And there was another just east west of there as well. So there have been three sightings of this flashing. Um, and the reason why this interests me is my theory is, is that this may be a flesh and blood entity, but I don't think it's part of this world. I think there's A portal opening, somehow moving in and out from an alternate reality. I just don't think this thing is from from our Earth plane. Uh, It sounds weird, but you know, cryptids in general. You know, people talk about Bigfoot, Dogman, upright canines. Mm -hmm. They never see them or have a body or anything. These things kind of come and go and. Nobody really has any evidence of it, and I I believe for the most part, now I'm not saying in all instances, but I'm saying the most part, I think these are interdimensional beings as well, but this flashes of light that have been going on south of Chicago, I went back and and was looking for other sightings similar to that, and... It it, it just hasn't happened like that. I mean, there's no real correlation to huge flashes of light. Mm -hmm. And going on at the same time, this humanoid flap's going on. So I believe it may be connected somehow.
0: Yeah, well, there's two extremely strange things going on at the same time, very anomalous thing. But uh, So no, uh, apart from that one uh, possible UFO during the sighting on the lake, have there been any other weird things going on and uh sightings of anything besides the flashes and the and the uh humanoids?
1: Well, that's another unusual aspect of this. Um Chicago, in and around Chicago and out in Lake Michigan normally have a lot of UFO activity. It's mm-hmm. you know, but for whatever reason, the activity, the number of sightings and reports is kinda of waned off during the period of this flap. Ha. Uh that's something that Butch and I have uh been looking into. Uh this is um it just seems awful strange. So I, I don't I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's a connection somehow, but it does seem kind of weird.
0: Yeah, well it seems like that the uh, my idea being you know the kind of person I am is that for some reason people are seeing these entities rather than UFOs and it might manifest in different ways at different times when whatever's happening in that local area is active um, but I get it, it seems like that to me that the some of these uh, reports you get one or two of them even if the people don't know each other or have ever heard of each other or look it up online they start clustering and people start seeing the same thing uh, and I, I've I've got this idea that it's because the people are involved with seeing it and somehow they, um, that's what they see rather than a UFO or a floating light or a, you know, or a Bigfoot or whatever it is. That, that also brings up the question, you know, what do you see kind of a connection between, well, Bigfoot's kind of a separate thing. We can get into the Bigfoot stuff and your psychs right. monster sighting. But do you think that there's some sort of, um, what would be a connection between these disparate phenomena besides, you know, do, I would say it'd be the witness and the human mind, but have you had any thoughts on that?
1: Well, that's something we're looking into. And uh, as far as connections with the witnesses and the locales, if there's some kind of connection. Mm-hmm. And I, myself, myself, and others have been looking into that. I mean, so far, we really haven't found much of anything. One thing that is interesting uh, is that the sightings themselves kind of run the gamut of witnesses, and, you know, economic, social, uh, you know, race, everything. It's just, it's no connection at all. It's all different. Right. You know, I, I, you know, unless unless we really went into the witnesses' background to see if there's a connection with the other witnesses, which is going to be hard to do because all the witnesses didn't give out connection, you know, uh information to get in contact with them. Yeah, Um, that is a problem. Sure, and so as far as that goes, that's going to be a problem. I I have a theory that, and look, Chicago has, what, 3 million residents or give and take. Mm -hmm. Uh, If this thing has been flying around as much as it supposedly has been reported to, I feel it's interesting that we're not getting more reports. And in fact, the reason why I say that is because a lot of the areas where it is showing up are areas where there are a lot of people. Yeah. Now, is it because the witnesses are predisposed that they only see, only they can see this thing, or is it just that people kind of brush it off and don't want to report it, or fear ridicule or whatever? I kind of believe. I kind of believe. In this instance, it has more to do with people actually being able to see it as opposed to not. Yeah.
0: And in what way do you mean that? Because of their personal makeup? or In what way do you mean that?
1: I don't know. I mean, is this something to do with uh, intuitiveness or, uh, you know, like when, you know, there's, there's been this theory and it's been kind of proven that when we're born and when we're young, we're able to see entities, different entities, because we haven't learned any. How to filter it. You know, yeah, it's, it's unfiltered. I mean, we haven't been told that you can't see that. Yeah. Or is is there something that makes this flying humanoid visible to certain people as opposed to not being able to see it? Right. I think there may be something to that Um, as far as how many entities are out there. Well, there, the one witness said they saw two of them Mm -hmm. and there were multiple witnesses. So I, I, there's at least two of them out there, but are, are there some type of shape shifting anomalies or are there more than two or is it one shape shifting or appearing somehow I don't know. I mean, I still haven't been able to pinpoint or get a, you know, get a, a read on that. Mm-hmm. But you know, well, that's why I'm, I'm hoping we get more reports. I mean, the more the better, so I can, you know, get an idea of what we're dealing with.
0: Yeah, the thing that it brings to mind for me too is I, I interviewed Dean Radin, if you know who that is, in uh, the mid '90s, mm-hmm. and. One thing he said to me has really stuck with me. I don't remember what we were talking about. Maybe UFO sightings. I have no idea. Uh, well, also uh, paranormal. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, parapsychology uh, s- uh, research. He said, if your mind experiences something that doesn't know what it is or has nowhere to put it, you know, the mental box, it kind of falls off the table. It doesn't register as anything that you should remember because you have, you have no, no way to hook it into your memory.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no reference point. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I I can and I uh I I believe that. I really do. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm intuitive and have been since I was young and Yeah, I
0: was going to ask you know, about I've
1: that been, too. I've been able to sense a lot of different things, you know. Uh as far as spirit energy and, you know, other phenomena, but you know, that very well may be true and that's what kind of makes tens, you know, I tend to believe that there may, this may be uh, involved with these sightings.
0: Yeah, one of my listeners said the recent Mothman sightings were premonitions of the death of Adam West.
1: <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you think about it? that is kind of interesting. Actually, that's from Go right in those terms. But uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's all interpretation. A lot of it. So you know, sure, people tell me a lot of people say it's all in your head, and I'm thinking. But everything's all in your head, ultimately. So let's stop that right now and look at more interesting things about perception and memory and all that, and, and you know, see where that leads us. Uh, you had—I um, read some of the stuff on your site. You had a very interesting encounter with what is known as the Sykesville Monster in Pennsylvania when you were younger. And what struck me about it actually was—and I didn't know this with Bigfoot or you know whatever—what's uh, the word, uh, primate? Type giant primate entities. Um, that there was some sort of apparent federal interest.
1: Yeah, this was uh, government interest. Yeah, this was really strange. I mean, you know, when I when I finally reported this back in the mid nineties, in fact, BFRO had just come into existence, and I uh, I contacted one of the investigators in the uh in the central maryland area where this occurred you know yeah it had a lot of connotations different connotations to it but anyway it was um this occurred back in uh may 9th of 1981 i uh um it was about 10 o'clock in the morning and i was quite an outdoorsman back then so i was fly fishing on the south branch of the Patapsco River, which is approximately a mile downstream from uh, Route 32 in Sykesville, Maryland. Um, this is central Maryland, about oh about 15 miles west of Baltimore. So the uh, the weather was nice and sunny, and uh, about 60 degrees, and I was on a part of the river I was fairly familiar with. And I've been there many times. And uh, I was on the south bank. I was in the water, but I was near the south bank. And um, I noticed a uh, a stray dog across the river sniffing around the weeds and thickets on the north bank. I'd say it was probably maybe 40 yards from here or so. And he was kind of moving in and out of the brush, you know, I, I I really didn't pay much attention to him I just knew he was there. He wouldn't bother me But after a few minutes, I heard the dog barking and growling So I looked up and I thought maybe he, You know, he stirred up a deer or whatever. So I looked up and looked in the direction mm-hmm. and I noticed something dark and hairy bobbing up and down in the weeds now I kind of stopped fishing and kind of watched it. And then the dog stopped barking Then suddenly I heard a yelp from the dog. And at that time, this creature stood up. Now, the best I could tell, it was probably seven to eight foot tall and had a dark matted hair. I could only see the body from the chest up because of the weeds. Uh, I stood still and I could hear a ticking sound and I still, you know, I really don't know what the ticking sound was. I've been, people have told me it may have been gnashing its teeth or making some type of, but it, it was a distinct ticking sound. And I didn't start to notice a kind of strong musky scent and it kind of reminded me of fox urine because I've used fox deer when I used to go deer hunting. Uh-huh. So, you know, I had waders on, so it's, it, it's not that I can move that much. Um, and I was in, you know, I was in kind of a area of the river there where it was kind of muddy, so I wasn't going to be moving around too fast. So uh, this thing kind of walked out towards the left of me, and when he walked out of the weeds, he he stood and looked right at me, and it was definitely a male. I mean, his genitalia was prominent, but he was f- covered with hair and uh, fairly thick hair. And but his face didn't have that much hair on it. Um, and you know, the fir- the thing, and the first thing that struck me was it looked like a Neanderthal, Or like you know, pictures of drawings of a Neanderthal. Uh, it, but it looked more human than anything else. So, um, as it was standing there looking at me for a couple seconds, I, you know, I, I was, I guess my jaw dropped to the ground. I don't know. I just stood there and looked at it and it, it turned around on a diamond and started moving up towards the woods. Um, it wasn't running, but it was moving at a pretty good clip. So, um, it freaked me out, you know. Back in 1981, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about Bigfoot. Though I had heard about Bigfoot, you know, right. this was this wasn't long after the uh, Patterson the, film. Uh, well, not not only the Patterson film, but the the uh, Boggy Creek movie uh, had been yeah, out, and yeah. you know, there was a big, you know. So I decided to go back to the car, which was just above me on the road. And drive back into Sykesville and make a report to the authorities because I, I really didn't know what I saw, you know. So on my way back to the vehicle, I noticed a dog, and he had a little bit of blood on it. He got, got across the river, but he was moving around pretty good, so I didn't bother with the dog. I thought he'd be fine. So I got in the car and took off. Uh, I drove to the nearest telephone, which happened to be located outside a bar right there on the river. And I called the local police, though I I'd probably been better off going to the police station because, you know, it had been actually really quicker. So I, I I called the I called the local police, Sykesville police, and, um, you know, they told me, well, to go back to where I saw it at and the cops would meet me. So I got back in the car immediately and just went back and it's no more than a three-minute drive about a mile right and when i got there there was a maryland state cruiser and a maryland state patrolman there and i pulled up to where he was and he was putting he was putting tape out he was blocking the road and i i was amazed he had gotten there that quick and i couldn't believe it so first thing he saw me stop and get out of the car. And he he told me, get back in the car and get out of here. And I said, look, I'm the one that made the report. He's, I don't care. Get back in the car and leave. So I thought, okay. So I got in the car, went out of there, went on home. I lived in Sykesville. So I was only a couple minutes from home. Oh, okay. So, uh, I went home, and immediately I started calling the local TV stations. Yeah. Which is Baltimore, and it was three TV stations. Well, I was really four, but I called three of them. And, uh, you know, I told them what I had seen, where I had seen it at, and, uh, they, you know, I told them that the cop was there, and, you know, they might hear something about it, you know. And they seemed both, all three of them seemed very interested in the story. They said, well, if anything else comes up, let us know about it. And I said, okay. So I changed clothes and went to the location, which was about an hour later. And when I got there, it was like, I mean, there were police cars everywhere, people everywhere, dogs. They had a white tent set up around the location where I'd seen this thing. I heard helicopters. I didn't see any helicopter. But I heard them. And at that time the government used to drive black uh station wagons or i don't know what you call them wagoneers or whatever those yeah. were back then and uh there were a few of those there, and like i said, state police uh the howard county police so i I got on my car i had park actually I had to park about a quarter mile away because there were so many cars up and down the road. So I walked up to where the uh, Howard County police officer was, and I acted dumb, and I asked him, I said, well, what's going on? Yeah. And he said, well, you're not really supposed to be here. He said, but some somebody called in a Bigfoot, seen a Bigfoot. He started laughing. I said, oh, okay. So I, <laughs> I, like, I, I didn't right. let him know I, you know I made the call, so... There was another guy standing there, and I asked him how long he'd been there. He said he'd been there a little while. He said he said he thinks he got some evidence or something because uh, he said something about a hair sample. I don't know what it was, hair sample or whatever. But they did have this big white tent set up. I mean, there was I and mean, they were moving in and out of the woods, and they had guys with dogs looking everywhere. I mean, there must have been thirty people there.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, and this was in what, like within between an hour and two hours after you made the call
1: this was in an hour
0: Oh, fast response
1: so i i later found out that there had been a sighting a bigfoot sighting earlier that morning about three or four miles downstream in a, in marriott'sville hmm. so you know they got a heads up this thing was out there but Still for the the federal government and for the local authorities to even be interested in, in this Yeah, usually kinda, they ignore it. Kind of yeah, I in over the years and I I've, I've had you know, over the years I've talked to a lot of people, I've done a lot of interviews. Uh because back in the early seventies there had been a um the Sykesville Monster reports had come out of uh Sykesville uh around the time of the Agnes floods and uh this Bigfoot or whatever it was, humanoid hominid uh had been moving up and down the river getting to into chicken coops and attacking pets. Actually got into somebody's kitchen one time. Yeah, you and mentioned a been home about, invasion on one of your yeah, posts there, yeah. Yeah, there have been about four or five, inv- you know, four or five um, encounters. So after I I had found out about, you know, this happened to me, I took it upon myself to go into those neighborhoods and start talking to the witnesses. And I got a bunch of reports from people that had, you know, that hadn't been talked to. The original, the original reports came uh, were actually published in the Baltimore Afro American because all the witnesses were African American. Mm-hmm. Uh, that part of Sykesville was a, a African American neighborhood. Uh, but I knew a lot of the people because of family and because I had worked with some people as well that lived there. So, yeah. uh, so I was able to get you know able to get some information from people that others weren't able to. But well, anyway, what I thought was interesting as well was when I when I got back a ho- in touch with the um, with the uh the television station, they did they blew me off. They didn't want to talk. Uh so somebody got to them. I was I you know, I figured. So anyway, I um I had also got a comment or an email later about, no, it was an email, no it was a letter. I got a letter from a um, from one of the uh, insightful policemen who was there, and he verified everything that I that I stated. Uh, so you know, over the years, I kind of I kind of believe that you know, being being in the area of Baltimore and DC, uh, you know, that area has a lot of different government facilities that people just don't know what are, what's there.
0: Right. I was thinking I, that it's, it's close enough to D.C. that there's some maybe deployment would be possible.
1: Well, for people, well, not only that, but for people that aren't familiar with the Baltimore, Washington area, there are a lot of government agencies and there are a lot of facilities where what people don't realize, you know, what they actually do with these facilities. I mean, they're kind of unmarked facilities. All right. And my thinking was that there were some some places up and down the river uh that were government facilities and, and what they did there, I you know, I wasn't sure what they did there. But anyway, I was just thinking and and my thought to this is maybe this Bigfoot or whatever it was, this humanoid or a hominid was actually some type of government uh project that got aware of escaped or whatever. And um that they they were alerted to it and they were actually out looking for it at the time of my sighting.
0: No, uh, Have you heard of, because this is the first I've really heard of any official governmental interest in Bigfoots or hominid sightings. And I, mm-hmm. I guess you've, since this experience of yours in 81, you said it was? Yeah. Um, have you heard of other sightings where there's this kind of attention paid to you know official attention paid to a Bigfoot sighting? Because usually you, you know you tell people, you know the witness went went to the police. The police said they were crazy. Don't worry about it. Went out took a report. That's about it. But this this is another dimension to it. I hadn't heard.
1: Yeah, I have I have looked into a lot of that. Um, you know, during the Mount St. Helens eruption there were witnesses that had seen Bigfoot bodies that were actually removed by the government, by the military. Um, I I have been told that there were three bodies that one individual saw that was airlifted by helicopter out of a location. He was part of a cleanup crew. Um, I had heard another from a Bigfoot researcher out there that he verified that these bodies did exist uh there was a researcher in maryland uh that told me that he when he used to be with the government and you know i could i, I couldn't verify all this but this was you know this was just somebody telling me about it mm-hmm. that some of the government facilities in and around the Aberdeen grooving grounds and edgewood um military facility there was actually some type of hominid research being done and that there was an escape back in the uh the 80s and that for whatever reason people you know were seeing these things in in certain state parks and heavily forested areas in and around Hartford County and Northern Baltimore County. Uh, I can't verify that, but it is interesting that there had, at that time, there were a lot of reports, um, of Bigfoot sightings and, uh, about the mid eighties, early nineties. And actually the reports have picked up over the last few years as well. Um, Northern Maryland, um, into Cecil Harford, Baltimore County up into Pennsylvania with York and Lancaster counties, it's been pretty heavy with Bigfoot settings. Hmm. So I, you know, I don't know if these are, you know, part of that experiment that, you know, these things that got away if that whole project was true or not, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of strange circumstances, uh, that I've run into people contacting me and I, you know, I don't know, you don't know what to think about it, but, you know, some of the report, you know, I kind of try to match it up with reports that the BFRO or others get on, in you know, these areas. And they, a lot of them do correlate with each other. So I don't know if, you know, how true it is, but it's interesting.
0: Right. I read your, um, you had a, uh, sort of a section on, Bi- I can't remember the name of it on your, on uh, Phantom and Monsters site, but it was basically kind of a collection of everything that it, that you had known and seen and theories about what the Bigfoot might be, all the way from a paranormal entity to a, a, a quasi-paranormal entity to a actual physical hominid. Where does your opinion fall on what it is? David Weatherly, he said something to me on one of my interviews. He said his idea is that Bigfoot is a physical being that has... Can mess with uh, with par- what's it, with paranormal powers or some way to switch between dimensions or something like that, which is why it's uh, people describe it in both ways.
1: Yeah, I um, as far as Bigfoot goes, I, I believe there may actually be some flesh and blood indigenous beings in certain areas, in particular the uh, the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> and down in Florida, in the Everglades, in those areas, I, I right. think the swamp, the swamp apes and those beings up in the upper up in the Pacific Northwest may actually be indigenous species. But as far as what people are seeing in other parts of the country, and in particularly here in the East Coast, uh, up and down the East Coast, I, I believe that these are for the most part in um actual flesh and blood, but they move within realities. I think they, they are interdimensional and that you know and, and it, it it I just go with a lot of the evidence I've received over the years that uh you know people following these things and they suddenly disappear. Tracks that just suddenly end um uh, Right. You know, really weird stuff. I mean, no bodies being found. Very little evidence being found. Um, yeah, I, I and I think it's not only with Bigfoot, but we've had an, an upright canine flap here in Pennsylvania over the last two years, and uh, we've received a little over 20 reports in the past year and a half, two years, and... I think, for the most part, it applies to these these beings as well. Uh, I think a lot of the cryptid sightings, a lot of the unknown creatures that people see, may may very well be something that moves in and out between our world and another.
0: Right. Do you know Do you know anybody in Cedar Rapids, Iowa? I'm just looking at my listener list. There's six of them in coming from Cedar Rapids. Six different listeners. I don't know why that's happening.
1: I don't know. I know a few people in Iowa, but Cedar Rapids in particular, I don't.
0: I've never seen that before on my <laughs> listener list. It's like, what are these six people doing listening to Radio So from Cedar Rapids, Iowa? <laughs> I, it's, it, sometimes I, you know, I just check to see if there's a pattern or who's listening or where people are. You know, There's somebody in Finland now, I think, and Germany and um, the UK. and uh, Most of them are here in the United States, but... Six in Cedar Rapids, Iowa right now, so. Weird.
1: Can't help you on that one, I don't know.
0: Okay. Um, Well, maybe just mentioning it and having it on the record, something will come up later. The other thing I noticed on your site was you had a report on the Minnesota Iceman. I did not know that, who's the researcher? The British guy from the, uh, who had examined the Minnesota Iceman, at least through the ice, and I think uh, maybe Wavelmans and... uh, now, I can't think of him. He, he also investigated the um, the Flatwood monster. You have him on your site. I'm and, trying
1: to think who you're thinking of, and I've drawn a blank.
0: Yeah. Anyway, but he had examined, uh, him and uh, Wavelmans, I think, had examined the Minnesota Iceman, at least to the ice, and said, look, it looks kind of real. And also, the you know the part that is coming out of the ice actually looks at it's like it's um, you know rotting flesh. So there's something real in there. It appears to be real. Um, that I didn't know about it. And the second thing I didn't know was that it had disappeared at one point and nobody knows where it is now.
1: Yeah, there have been a lot of theories about. I mean, there was a, a model made and, you know, that model is actually down in Texas now. But the actual Minnesota Iceman was reported to have been in a. Um, well, and the reason it got the Minnesota Iceman moniker was it was in a traveling carnival or some type of sideshow thing in the Minnesota area for years. And, um, eventually it disappeared and people didn't know where it was. You know, I heard a lot of different reports about this thing anywhere from the government having it or somebody had taken it and buried it in a wood somewhere in California. I really don't know what happened to it. You know, it's just a lot of uh, speculation.
0: Yeah. Well, the the uh, what you said on the site it kind of alluded to. Well, maybe you know, back to the government angle. Maybe somebody in officialdom um, just kind of snagged it and didn't give it back. I I, I think that you made that allusion, or somebody did on on your site on the
1: uh, uh yeah, section on it, the Iceman. Yeah. There was uh, there were reports that it was taken and then eventually buried in some woods in, in California. Um, uh, you know, and that just, that came from people that supposedly knew what happened to it. I, you know, I, I don't know how true that is. I really don't. It just
0: disappears into legend it just and, dis- and rumor. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, uh, it's, uh, just another one of those things where you, kind of you don't, somebody, uh, uh if they followed it they'd probably get you know a lot of dead ends on it which is uh, interesting because it was one of the things that seemed to have some sort of i mean two people who did have training in in um, zoology and in an animal pathology i think at least to some mm-hmm. extent actually gave their their uh qualified uh with some qualifier seal of approval to whatever this thing was
1: in the block of ice well you know this um this creature now there's a story behind this creature was that it was actually a, a Bigfoot that was shot in northern California back in the late 1700s. Now, you know, this is just a story, but it was supposedly done by a a Russian uh tourist who was a, an avid hunter and and he had killed this thing. And apparently it had ended up originally somewhere in the, in the Soviet union. If it it was, you know, if it did end up there and not being buried somewhere, I don't don't know. I mean, there's a lot, there are, there are a lot of speculation about this thing, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, I, I really don't know. I I just reported what I had learned and, and I kind of left it to whoever read it to figure, try to figure it out for themselves.
0: Yeah, one but, of my uh, listeners said it was a it was a rubber suit but still cool to see. So
1: Yeah, well see there there was there was a uh, there, there was a uh Thank you, John. Yeah, there there was a, a a model made of it. And like I said that that's actually in the uh some crypto museum in in Texas, I believe. I'm not really quite sure. So
0: Oh, okay. Um, uh, Craig Woolheater might know where that is, or Nick, for that matter. Actually,
1: yeah, yeah, they they would both know.
0: Yeah, uh, people have been throwing questions. I've you know I've got other stuff too, but people have been throwing questions at me. To sort of uh, get back to the um, Chicago Mothman. I thought that was in, this was interesting. From uh, Reagan Lease, uh, one wanted to ask. Um, he, she said you commented a while ago on Facebook about remote viewing the wing creature sightings sightings in Chicago. Is there any update on
1: that? No, we haven't. We haven't pursued that yet. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get one of my colleagues in Australia to work with me on that. I had sent something to her not long ago. That, that's in that's in the very early stages, and we haven't. We haven't even gone into that yet, but, uh, I, I would like to do it if we possibly could. Okay.
0: Have you done that with, uh, any other, uh, things you've been researching and gotten anything, um, substantial or, or actionable or that told you anything you, you didn't know before?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, I have some friends I used to work with, uh, colleagues i worked with when I was involved with remote viewing and, um. Um, I, I still have contact with them and you know if there's cases that come up, occasionally they, they will volunteer and to work with me when we get involved with this. But uh it, it has led to some interesting uh evidence over the years and you uh, know and I'll kinda leave it at that
0: right i uh years ago i had some contact and interviewed on a radio show sometime in the mid to late nineties a researcher that lived in um, uh, New Jersey uh, who had done a remote viewing study on cattle mutilations in the late seventies that early right, and he had basically given a bunch of envelopes to um four or five or six different people. And they all came back with strange things like um, silent helicopters, uh, quasi-government or government uh, entities, uh, people in dark outfits. Uh, and these were all across, you know, uh, multiple remote viewings of this, uh, or at least he claimed that's what what had gone on. And it was, it, I thought that was a, you know, what not that you could represent this to anybody serious as, look, we remote viewed all this because... A lot of people would say oh you 're using something that doesn 't work to explain something that 's not explained that's <laughs> that 's not the point. The point is to like I said, find something actionable so you can go back whatever method you know like a policeman will consult a psychic he 's not going to tell you he did that, but he'll get he 'll get a clue about something he or she'll get a clue about something that they can take action on and find out that they couldn 't have through, through normal means." Um, is that your part of your idea behind uh doing some of this r v stuff on on cryptids
1: yeah i mean uh it it you know it always it always puts a little bit more evidence out there for you to to follow up on uh, the you know when when you RV, it's it, it's a matter of going through phases uh and there's different ways of doing it Um, I do it a little different, somebody else, than most people would uh, if I do it myself, Um, but most of the time when you do an RV, it's it's normally done through scientific uh, or coordinated type of uh, RV with monitor and uh, several other people at different locations doing it at the same time, and then, you know, then you bring everything together and then you disseminate what has come up, and that's normally how it's done and but you know for the most part it's a subjective type of uh process but it normally towards the end always turns into a a psychic exercise and when that occurs that's normally when you can open yourself up and get a sense of what's going on right uh you know and you know that's it sounds what like I, that's, it
0: becomes more personal then for, for, yeah. for the researcher too.
1: Yeah, and it does. I mean, uh, you know, when you're going through the actual actual remote view and going through the phases, you go through, say you've got five phases you go through, and the first four phases are all subjective.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: and But as you get into the net last next and last phase, then you start to develop into a, into a psychic profile and you may actually start sensing a few things that relate to the case. And, you know, invariably that's what happens with most, um, with most, uh, investigations that we use a remote view. And, uh, it's just a matter of getting together then disseminating the information and coming up with uh with a theory
0: right have you well i think you've told me what some of the theories are but you know it, how much of those have uh, come through well the thing is you say that you're you have had uh you're a sensitive and had some of these things come to you anyway throughout life so maybe you're you're predisposed to get information through non-traditional means yourself right no i am
1: i am i mean i um for years I have been working with people um that have hauntings and um other type of uh spiritual problems let's put it that way mm-hmm. and if if I don't go on locate location and help it, I'll do it remotely uh, most of my cases are done remotely. And I, I believe if people go to my website, at astralperceptions dot com, it's another yeah. website I I, I uh, use. Oh yeah, thanks. And uh, if, they, if they go to the testimonials, uh, they can see how successful it's been.
0: Uh huh. I got another question from uh, Bernie uh, Bernie Mooney, one of the listeners. Could you please ask Lonnie how he thinks most of the sightings encrypted and UFO things are out in central and west Pennsylvania and zilts in the northeast region around Monroe and Carbon Counties where I grew up. They're pretty much all over Pennsylvania except that one area.
1: I don't know. I mean, for the most part, Pennsylvania's been pretty active. Um, I, I guess it depends on the phenomena. Uh, Carbon County, we have, had, we have had sightings in Carbon County. Of, uh, In fact, we had one not long ago, of uh, upright canine, supposed upright canine sighting. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: So we we do get sightings all over the state.
0: The uh, one thing that uh, I talked to my friend Josh Cutchin the other day. He said he had uh, spoken with you a couple of times, and he said you have an interest, and I mentioned this uh, when we talked here right before the show, in something called the Pennsylvania powwow tradition. I had never heard of that. It sounds fascinating to me, and I started reading an academic paper on it. Um, could you describe what that is, how you know about it, and maybe you said you had a little bit of uh, background in it?
1: Well, when uh, when the German-speaking people moved into Pennsylvania, uh, the old world folk healing that was used back in the old country were were kind of employed with the um, with the Pennsylvania Dutch and high German communities in the state um, that practice was known as powwow and basically what it is it was some of the, the old German beliefs some of the the Root conjuring or healing practices of the Appalachian region, uh, Native American healing practices, all combined into one thing. I mean, and um, it was the, the actual powwow folk magic was... Actually, put it in a book in the 1820s by a gentleman by the name of um, uh, John George Holman, and the book was entitled "The um, The Long Lost Friend." It, it was it was like a re- recipe book, basically, mm-hmm. uh, for uh, spells and other means of healing. Uh, I guess you could call it magic, but it, it had a lot of uh, Religious connection to it as well. The um,
0: yeah, it was syncretized with uh, Christian religion, and apparently, uh, the, the right. thing I was reading was called "Powwowing: A Persistent American Esoteric Tradition" by David W. Creebell. Right, I think, and that that that's the the only background I have besides what we're talking about here, and the. It uh... syncretizes things from the bible from the catholic religion from apparently egyptian and occult uh... western occultism into a um... sort of a folk religion that's very regional i guess to the to the northeast or at least even to just the pennsylvania area
1: well it it actually extends down into the appalachians oh, okay as far south into kentucky and tennessee and north carolina i um you know it, it it is kind of a collaboration with a lot of different type of folk healing mm-hmm. uh but there's um you know there are other beliefs mixed in with it the lesser seals of Solomon, the sixth and seventh books of moses this and that it, it's just a it's just a lot of different things that are involved with it. and actually when it got you know when the when the practice got to the new world in the Pennsylvania it was it was changed in all different ways and actually it's you know it's it's the practice is illegal in Pennsylvania to be quite honest with you what really why yeah it is back in uh back in the 1930s there was a case called the hex murders that um that involved a powwow practitioner who was murdered by three gentlemen who thought he had put a curse on the one Oh, I see. And this was in New York, south of York, Pennsylvania. Uh, The gentleman who died was named Nelson Raymar, and if you, there was a book written about it that was titled simply Hex. (laughs) And um, it was a it was a fairly well known trial in York City back in the eighteen, I mean the nineteen thirties. The practice itself came to the. The highlight, and people started to really find out about it. And for whatever reason, it was it was kind of considered to be the occult and witchcraft and involved. And for whatever reason, the state of Pennsylvania made it illegal, though it's it still practiced.
0: Yeah, well, of course, but w- what does the uh What it's not really a religion; it's kind of a folk tradition with.
1: It's a folk tradition, yeah, with bits of religion
0: in it. One, how did you hear about it? Two, what is your personal relationship with it? And three,
1: what is it used for? I mean, what is the, you know, is is it just healing? healing? All kinds, yeah, all kinds of different ailments and such. I heard about it because I had a family member that practiced it. Ah, and I was male or female. Female, and I was able to witnessed some of the, uh, some of the, uh, sessions that were conducted. I was never really taught any of it, but I kind of picked up on a few things. And as I got older, I looked into more and more and, uh, you know, some of the things I had seen, I recognized and, and I started to study it more, talked to a few people that act, actually still practice it. Uh, there are very few now that do it, but there are, there are some older individuals that still practice it.
0: I talked to somebody recently. Oh, it was a friend of mine that grew up, and this is Louisiana, so it was, it was not really a voodoo practice, but it was another practice similar to powwowing. It was, a, you know, it was endemic to the area. Mm-hmm. He's, he said that he had been injured or burned, I think, in, as, as a child and his father said you know after they dressed the wound and all that he said come with me and he dragged him over to this um and this these were white people dragged him over to a um a section of town where african american the black people lived this time in sometime in the 50s i think or 60, 60s and he just said, "Shut up! Don't say anything." And he sh- he told this guy, you know, he told this guy what had happened, what was going on, what was wrong with the, with his with his son. And he said the guy just came over and put his hands on him and and said some kind of silent prayer. Then his father handed him some money and they left. And he said, within mm-hmm. about a, a week, whatever was wrong with him, he was almost healed. It was kind of strange. And he tried to ask his father about it, and he said, "We don't talk about it." And you know, it works. He didn't even say that. He just said, "Shut up about it and don't mention it again."
1: Well, that's somewhat similar to what powwow is. Um, there, there are a lot of variations, especially down in in Louisiana and uh, down in the Caribbean. Of course, you know, you've got Voodoo and obeah and uh, mm-hmm. Santeria and a few other things. And those Creole religions, a lot of them employ the the, the powwow tradition along with Western. African folk magic and um you know I I've, I've actually run into a few cases where there there has been some um uh, creole religion spells or curses involved with it uh it's something I wasn't really familiar with but it's I had to learn a little bit about it and um it's pretty odd it's it, it is really strange i mean Some people may think that you know voodoo is just a lot of superstition, but I've seen some odd things in my time, and uh, it's uh, such as it's more than just superstition. Oh, I mean manifestations, for the most part, healing, Mm -hmm. people being healed. Uh, There's more to it, and yeah, it's more to it than just being folklore
0: right well (laughs) well uh, regale us with one of the stories something that just made you say wait there is something to this that did just didn't make any normal um whatever you want to call it uh uh, normal societal uh what people would consider uh uh sense just something that kind of really made you turn around and say there must be something to this
1: well i i I I don't know if I even really want to get into it, but, uh, I, uh, if you don't, we can it, move on, but yeah, yeah, let's just put it this way. I believe those people who benefit from it have got a deep faith in it. And I think it has a lot to do with achieving what they want. Um, for any regular person to go in there who has no idea what it is and is skeptical most of the time they're not going to be healed or achieve what they want to achieve. But it's just like anything else. If you have a deep faith in it and you believe it and you've got an open mind and I tell people when I work with them, if they don't have an open mind and aren't going to go along with what I ask them to do, then they may as well just forget it. It's not going to work. And, uh, yeah, the human mind, human psychic really has a lot to do with anything. Mm-hmm. It's just leave it to that, you know. That's, uh, you know, that that works as much as anything. You've got to believe what you're getting into.
0: I once gotten a a heated debate with a friend of mine about Uri Geller. He said, uh-huh. "Why do you believe that the stupid stories and his lies?" And I said, "I that has nothing to do with it." Um, at least I think I have one book. I, I don't think it's called the Geller Effect. It's a it's a collection of different studies done when Geller was here in the 70s across the across the United States, he, I guess when he was doing one of his tours or whatever, he stopped at various universities and research places along the way. Either during that tour or on separate times, he, um, suge- he was subjected to a bunch of different tests in right. cl- clinical settings. And some of them, they said, we don't, you know, there's nothing really going on here. Or it was inconclusive. We don't know if we had enough protocols. Or three, something extremely strange went on here that we can't explain. And the you know the opinions and the the uh, conclusions and the reports ran the gamut through those types of those three uh, general three uh, assessments. And one of them was he had. Uh, they had presented him with uh, nitinol, which is that uh, that stuff that's made out of um, nickel. It's a nickel uh, alloy. It's
1: a me- yeah memory memory metal. Yeah. Right. Basically, you can't you can't
0: yeah you can't bend it until it you can bend it, but it'll pop back. It was a piece right. of wire, but the nitinol wire, just thin wire. The only way you can bend it is to heat it to I don't know three or four or five hundred degrees or something like that, and then it'll bend. Then when the, the heat is taken away, it stays in that bend. You can't unbend it. They presented him with uh, glass tubes sealed with the nitinol inside and uh, wire. And uh, they said, go ahead and you know see if you can bend these. So he did. He proceeded to bend three or four or five of them. And they, they, you know, with somebody there watching him, he didn't, you know, what's he going to do? Break it then bend it and put it back inside the glass tube. Um, it would, or it would have different glass tubes that he got from somewhere with the wire in it. Uh, very hard to obtain this stuff, especially back in the 70s. Anyway, um, they found out by looking at the wires that it had actually been heated. Apparently, the crystalline structure of the nitinol had been heated to the point where it, it could be bent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they could not figure this out. So my friend said, Well, he must have been in collusion with the scientists. It's like, <laughs> I, I suppose, but, you know, over all these trials, and the fact that once in a while he. Or maybe a lot of the time he resorts to sleight of hand to get these things done when it doesn 't work to me really doesn 't make any difference because occasionally it it does and one thing that Geller and a lot of other people, including you, have said is if you 've got a mental block against it, I hate to say it, but if you have a, a extreme mental block against whatever the thing is that you 're trying to investigate it 's not going to manifest Mm-mm. and that you know that seems like a tailor made argument for um, for uh, somebody that is skeptical like that, to say, "Well, if, well, then it should be able to hold up to any type of sc- scrutiny, skepticism, or belief," but it doesn't. It doesn't
1: appear to work that way. No, it doesn't. Psychokinesis is a funny thing. It's, um, you know, I've seen it demonstrated before. I, I, you know, I I can't bend spoons or anything like that, but I it, I have had some strange things happen over the years that I believe may have been some psychokinesis involved with it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I can't really pinpoint to say that that is what happened. But, uh, you know, as far as with Geller, I, I I think he, um, you know, I think Geller uses a lot of different techniques, uh, other than just PK. I, I think, I think he employs some parts of the Kabbalah and, other mysticism in what he does no oh, i never heard that about him i i do believe that i mean i, I don't think he really comes out and says that but I, I i just from what i sense some of the things i've heard him say and others say i i think he um i think he may be involved with that as well and i think that probably aids him
0: I've got a, a slightly controversial question from one of the listeners. John was asking, "What's Mister Strickler's take on his arcane radio host, uh, Butch Whit- co-host Butchwood Kowski?" Um, to put a finer or more a revealing point on the question, perhaps he could comment on the controversial Todd Sees human mutilation case. I know nothing about this that gained him so much attention back in the day. I have no idea about this case or what he's talking about but maybe you know what what he's saying with some sort of uh controversy around it.
1: Hey, and what was the name of this person?
0: It's uh he I don't know who it is his name is John he comments on my site all the time so he hasn't come in just to just to pick on
1: you today. <laughs> that maybe John maybe John Ventry.
0: Uh no it's not. He would okay. not he would not say the kind of things that i've seen him saying if it was John Venter
1: okay <laughs> this is a well, different issue uh, john, ventry, john ventry's john ventry and and others have that are associated with with John ventry his clique i guess mm-hmm. they've had issues with butch in the past, and butch in a butch used to be a field investigator in Pennsylvania and he had his issues with John, so because of that he. John's tried to retaliate in, in with against him for years. And he's come up with this secret file or something on Butch, which I don't understand, and I've never seen proof of it. So, I, you know, I, I've known Butch for a while. I trust Butch, and, you know, I've defended Butch, and I still will defend Butch. But anyway, we got involved with this Todd Seas case together, and, in fact, this was a situation... That occurred back in um, uh, 2002. What happened was uh, this gentleman by the name of Tazi's 39-year-old man was uh, in the early morning of August 4th, 2002 he took his ATV and drove it across up to the base of uh, Montour, from the base of Montour Ridge in Northumberland County, Pennsylvania, and the area is Point Township. He took it up the mountain trail adjacent to uh, the power lines, saying, telling his family that he would be back by noon. He was just going up on the top of the ridge to spot deer. Right. Uh, that's what they said. Uh, anyway. When he didn't come back home by noon, which was very unusual according to his family, a massive search ensued eventually. And this included search and rescue personnel, search dogs and helicopters, local and state police. It it was an organized search. Uh, And and in fact, there were supposedly 200 plus volunteers involved. The entire area from the top of the ridge and the adjacent woods, to the family property, even the pond that was located about 70 foot from the house were searched. Uh, they had dogs and divers and everything, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah. So this all continued for about 36 hours or so. And on the second morning of the search, a family member Looking outside, noticed something in the bushes. And when they went to investigate, it was Tatsy's body. I mean, it shows up. To make a long story short, this this whole incident, when uh, uh, when the body was found and everybody that was searching at the time was taken to a local firehouse, and basically put it in the firehouse, it, the doors were closed. And they were told by certain individuals in suits that this would, to forget what they saw, not to speak about it, this and that, you know. So there was a lid, tight lid put on this whole investigation. Well, anyway, when the body was found, the coroner came, they, they released the body to the coroner. It was an autopsy was done. There were some. There were some problems with uh, information on this, uh, where the body was for about 17 hours after it was picked up. If, between the time it was picked up and between the autopsy, where he'd gone. Uh, the autopsy report, which concluded a fatal cocaine toxicity, which was a which was a crock. Because I mean the, um, it, it was just ridiculous how much cocaine was in this that was said to have been found. I mean it was enough to kill an elephant. And this guy didn't just walk down the ridge where all these people were looking at him and, and die right there at the pond. So anyway, the um, Butch was able to get the full autopsy report. It took a long time to get it. About a year and a half ago, we got the full report. I mean, with everything. Mm -hmm. And some of the strange things about it were there was no blood in the body. They couldn't get a blood sample. The only way they got a blood sample was from the leg.
3: Uh,
1: There was no cocaine found in in the nasal passages or in the throat or anything, which was unusual. But they still determined he died of it. Cocaine toxicity. Uh, There was a lot of other weird things. The condition of the body was pretty bad, even though it was in the summer. It was only thirty-six hours. It was, you know, the body just didn't look right. Uh, And the fact that it showed up just like it was dropped from something or put there without anybody noticing was also very strange. (laughs) Well, anyway, the um, a little bit later. Uh, there had been, there were some reports of UFO activity at the same time, uh, reported to uh new fork and, uh, there were two separate reports made one, uh, that was west of the location by two fishermen who had seen a large like UFO hovering above the power line at the top of the ridge and who said that they saw some. Something being beamed up. It looked like a man in his underwear to huh. the craft, and there was another, another witness, a farmer south of the location, who noticed the same craft at hovering above the power line top of the ridge. So we had two separate reports of, of um, activity. We still are getting reports of large craft since that time on that on or near that ridge so at this point and look the information has has been coming in very scant i mean it, it just here and there it's interesting we had we we couldn't find a a birth certificate or any type of information on Todd seeds. everything was sealed hmm. i tried butch tried you know for years to get in and nothing. We did a radio show one night and disclosed what we had discovered, what had turned up, uh, what we thought. The next day on ancestry.com, his birth certificate shows up. Some of the, uh, a ticket to where he was stopped by police for uh, speeding. And then since that time, stuff has been coming out a little bit here, a little bit there.
3: Right. Now,
1: as far as making a final report on what happened, uh, we just don't have enough to do that. But we can speculate. And Butch and I will both tell you we're more than 50 percent positive that this was an abduction.
0: With, uh, uh, with a death at the end of it.
1: With a death yeah yeah that i mean with with the evidence we've gotten so far which we haven't disclosed all of but with what we've gotten so far and every once in a while we get people asking us to come forward and and tell more well I, there's only so much we can tell and at this point plus we've we've got more investigations to do and we're employing people here and there and uh when we you no, know, we did make. The, I did make the statement for Butch and I about us being more than fifty percent positive that this was an, an actual UFO abduction. I can't go beyond that because we just don't have the information to make any more a different type of uh, theory right now.
0: Right. So that that that's ongoing and probably be for a while. Are, is well, there? Yeah,
1: it's going to be going on a long time. I'm afraid.
0: Do you have anything on your site with? you know what you can reveal that's uh, happened up to now
1: yeah if you go to the uh, if you go to com on the right hand side where it says reader information
3: mm-hmm.
1: it has todd c's investigation ongoing and you just click on that link and it's actually got the radio show up there and things butch and i had found and uh information we can report at this time
0: okay excellent I've got one other thing I wanted to ask you. And, it, it you know, we don't have to stop right at, you know, the hour. It's just not that way. There was one other thing I wanted to ask you that um, Josh had brought up with me. Because, of course, he wrote the uh, Brimstone Deceit book. And I, right. I think at one point he said he had talked to you. You had been to a Civil War uh, site, like an active, um, I, I guess hauntingly or psychically or somethingly active civil war site and you had been exposed to something that may that had a strong smell and he
1: said it stayed with you for a while. Oh, okay. The the, the, this the, was a, the honeysuckle yeah, this was smell. Investi- yeah, this was an investigation I did oh my Thank god you, back, Josh. When, back in the mid eighties. Uh-huh. Actually this was near Ellicott City, Maryland. The location was an old plantation that had an old paper mill at one time. In fact, it was the first paper mill, established paper mill in the United States. But anyway, th- I was at this plantation, and uh, I was doing the investigation, me and another guy were together. And as we were sitting there, we noticed this apparition. And it was it was full-body apparition, and it was a female who was dressed in mid 1800s attire uh it was a blue dress she had like an apron on Mm -hmm. and she was moving about in the the thrushes and weeds that were in front of us so me being like a dummy i went up there and started walking towards it (laughs) and as i got near at one point, it started rushing toward me, and I couldn't get away from it. And it went through me, huh? And I smelled because of that. I smelled like honeysuckles. I it, it was in my it was I smelled it as well as enough to make you sick, but I had that honeysuckle smell in my nostrils and on my body for over a week. And in fact, my ex wife, my first wife, when I got home that day she She had me sleep out in the out in the couch because it was that bad, <laughs> and i i couldn't stand it i mean i I took showers and it just stuck with me, yeah huh. it was the damnedest thing, and, and it was that time of year the honeysuckles weren't even out right and uh yeah, that was pretty bizarre
0: Josh said he found few different cases where that had happened where it, also, in actually, in Native American lore, where somebody had encountered some entity, and they smelled so bad they were kind of ostracized from the group, or the tribe, or the clan, or whatever you want to call it, yeah. uh, for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So, and and you said, like you said, you couldn't wash it up. Have you encountered this with uh, other people on um, at haunting sites? This kind of phenomenon happening?
1: Not that. Huh. No that 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 was, you know. That was a one-time deal. I, I had never heard it happening to anybody I was associated with. I, I don't even think I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I've heard different things, but nothing like that. I mean, that you know, and it, it, I'm glad it, it finally dissipated after a week, but it was terrible. <laughs> you know, I, I used to work in a, I used to work in a mill at that time, and, and some of the comments I was getting at, at work were just, you know. Uh, it was pretty bad. So,
0: <laughs> I mean it's funny it, now, but it must have been kind of frightening at the time.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't you know, I had I had experienced strange activity, apparitions and such before. I mean I had a real harrowing experience at one time with an apparition, but the fact that I was dumb enough to get up and move towards this thing, I, I should have known better. Oh I did I and I do know better. Because I really didn't sense what if this thing could have been you know could have been some something malevolent or whatever I mean it was just moving about, and I just wanted to get a better look at it, but I didn't expect it to rush towards me like that. I mean it came at me so fast I couldn't move, yeah so um yeah anything
0: yep. anything else that uh, did you sense anything when it came by like anything or it just kind of rushed at you and then disappeared like it went through you that was it.
1: Well, I, I I kinda knew who the apparition was. Uh it was a, I, I believe it was the daughter of the the gentleman who owned the um who owned the plantation. In fact
3: yeah.
1: yeah, in fact this this gentleman's name was Kennedy. He was actually the um secretary of I don't know what secretary it was. He was Millard Fillmore and John Tyler's secretary of attorney general or something. I don't know. His mm-hmm. last name was Kennedy. Well, anyway, yeah, he actually had a lot of well-known people as friends. Uh, Washington Irving used to come there a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, he was well known and his daughter had, had actually lived there her entire life. So I, I believe that was her, you know, cause I knew the history of the place. So, you know, I, I had heard people talk about the location, seeing apparitions and, you know, seeing a lot of weird things. It was right off a dirt road that was there. Well, not a dirt road, but it was a back road. And um, that's the reason I was there. But I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah, what, nobody would expect that. No.
0: Yeah. What? a very strange story. I'm glad that I, I, I will say thanks, Josh, for giving me a little bit of background here on uh, Lawn. Could you reiterate your sites and books and all that? Because uh, when people do interviews, part of the reason, not out of the goodness of their hearts, is to get people interested in their work. So could you uh, go, go ahead and give us all that nice information? And well, we'll, put, we'll put that at the end here.
1: Yeah, the, web, the website is uh, phantomsandmonsters.com. Uh, I, I do a week, I mean, a week, I do a daily blog, and uh, you can actually receive it daily in the mail, in your email, mm-hmm. uh, there's a there's a module there on the on the on the blog homepage where you can sign up for it and receive it free. We've got about thirty thousand daily subscribers now. I've written five books. You can there, I call it the Encounter series, where it's it's basically a few cases I've done, but mostly uh, situations where people or encounters people have that contact me, are in there. And uh, if you, you want to find it, it's on, it's on Amazon. Just either search Lawn Strickler or search Phantoms and Monsters, and they'll all come up.
0: All right, excellent. Well, uh, thanks so much for your time. I know you had, what, another couple of interviews today before this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, think this, the Chicago uh, Phantom, the Chicago Mothman thing has kind of made my time a, a, a bit... Pressed, but I'm getting through it.
0: Well, well, thank, thanks for uh, spending the time. I, I hope we at least uh, relieved you of having to talk about that Mothman thing for <laughs> on an interview for a little while, because I, I yeah. knew you had uh, been uh, researching it for quite a while, and past the MUFON kerfuffle thing, I was like, oh, Lon has actually been doing this for quite a while, has a wide breadth of experience, I'd like to talk to him about it. So, um, I thank you for that. Our guests, usual, our, my guests, They get to pick the music at the end of the show. I always end it with some music. What do you want to hear?
1: Oh, put on some Led Zeppelin.
0: Excellent. Which one? Cashmere. Okay. I grew grew up with Led Zeppelin, so yeah. Yeah, me too. I I, I still listen to them. (laughs) Thanks again so much, Lon, and uh, please keep in touch, and I'll talk to you um, soon, I hope. Okay. All right. Take care now. You too. Here we go.